Okay, she put it closer to me. I'm going to be doing all the talking. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of All the Talking Podcast. This is Federico Ugi Drummer, and you're about to hear the interview with Patrick Holmes, improviser and clarinet player. Patrick, what are your music influences? Like a fact that a lot of people don't know is that I used to uh, freestyle battle. And um, at that time, especially like, you know, early, mid-90s, especially a lot of the influence coming from uh, the the West, uh, the underground in the West, especially around, uh, you know, in L.A., around Freestyle Fellowship and groups like that, Project Bloat and... You know what's happening in the Bay Area, a lot of, I mean, Supernatural on the East Coast and different people like that. You know, it's not like now where a lot of guys, you know, they write their lyrics and they memorize them and that's kind of thing. This was all full on just spontaneous improvisation. You do the work, you know, like Supernat was uh, famous, you know, for reading rhyme dictionary, reading dictionaries, you know, to build your lexicon, your arsenal, you know, to the where you could deal with everything that was going around you, not just the person you were battling. Uh, it was epic and a huge influence on me. Um, uh, and I think it's a little, not a little, but it's completely unrecognized just how advanced these, you know, basically youth in urban areas were just like, just, just it's just gross. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, listen to those wake up show records and everything. And that's the reason why I think like normal people freak out about Eminem so much. He comes out of that scene. But if you were hip to what was going on, he's great. But there were a lot of people like that. Now, not that people are going to cross over and have the uh, ability to cross over the way that he did. That's something else. But just in terms of ability, there were so many people. It's just like crazy. Like spontaneous yeah. skills, being able to be in the moment. I mean, just like and gross, just like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I mean, I saw some great things. I remember there was this guy uh, at University of Texas. I can't remember his name. He had a uh, show called The B-Side. And uh, I remember one time, Hyro was there. So it was Dell, it was Pep Love, it was Tajay, it was all those guys just seeing them just... People freestyle not just on everything that was around you, just being able to deal completely in the moment. And not only that they just come with, you know, the words and the rhymes and how they connect it, but doing it with a certain finesse and style was just mind-blowing to me. And to being able to adapt that style in any direction, that's like what I want to do with the clarinet. I want to be able to like, whether it's create a language with it and a flow to it, like maybe, you know... I love bebop and, you know, all that stuff. I love the flow. Been listening to Fats Navarro a lot. The flow, but like, you know, I'm a free improviser, you know, but just thinking, take anything that the instrument can do, I should be able to do it on the spot. You know, whatever is called for in the moment. I'm not saying I'm, I'm most definitely not there, but it's, it's gotten closer, you know, um, uh, so that was a big influence. Um, um, and just anything I was listening to, whether it was like classical music, you know, from early to modern, checking out different composers and stuff and things that people turn me on to. Whole stretch of jazz from the earliest. Uh, like when I started buying records, I mean, it's like 
my parents had a few jazz records, but they weren't like jazzers or anything by any stretch. But uh, when I got into it, I bought a Thelonious Monk tape when I was 15 because I liked his name. And, uh, and I, you know, and I liked the music more. Like, it was just like, there was no, you know what I mean? It was no like, eh, I don't know about this. I like immediately liked it. And then I can't remember what I bought. Maybe picked up some other things, but I bought a Sam Rivers record. I bought that Streams record, and I liked that. Then I bought a, like, James P. Johnson record, and I really liked that. Um, uh, and then it's just like, I was just like, just buying whatever, you know, because I would hang out in these record stores, especially Sound Exchange in uh, uh, um, um, uh, Waterloo Records. And, uh, you know, I just listen. You just sit in the booth and you just listen. Oh, vinyl, always vinyl. Uh, no, vinyl, CDs, whatever, whatever they had. As Waterloo had a crazy uh, free uh, um, um, collection. So, I mean, any kind of like free jazz thing, whatever they had. Um, uh, uh, I mean, just like anything, you know. And then a lot of the uh, European free improvisers. So I got really into Derek Bailey. Um, uh and uh, just like, I just like all forms of jazz. What anyway, trad dudes. I mean, I play clarinet. I'd be, I mean, like. What you know. attracts you? It's interesting what you're saying, Derek Bailey. Why Derek Bailey? You think in particular, why you connected to his music instead of, you mentioned that name first. I'm wondering why. Oh, was, like him? Like hearing yeah. him? The, because there's nobody like him and that sound is unfucking believable his sound is unbelievable and just like you know i remember like i was really into him and uh, still am and uh but then hearing him play with that uh, programmer or that um, um the jungle stuff yeah the jungle and when i heard him on that i was like this dude is insane you know and i like sound you know i always like you know like i mentioned about Derek bailey um uh, uh don cherry's another guy to me like that that like he just fits anywhere he has what he does and it fits anywhere you know and the way that he plays is unbelievable to me um uh what you know pe what period of uh don't don't charity you I prefer like it. i i pretty much like it all the world stuff I, I pretty much like it all i remember those duets with um ed blackwell was really some of my favorite stuff and of course the stuff with ornette no i don't need to comment on anything he did with Ornette or Arnett that hasn't been set. That's last level stuff to me. Um, uh, but just really trying to see what's behind the curtain. You know, it's like, I feel like the way I'm playing now, I won't be playing in a few years. And I'm kind of interested in that. You know, you hear things. It's like, I'm trying to get to that. Um, uh, what, what are you doing? What, what, what projects are you doing musically these days? What, uh, you, you work, are you working on something specific? Are you? I've gone back to the basics. I've even gone back to school just to like just study, you know, just playing classics, standards, just to get a better sense of some things that I didn't really work on and just always working on sound and things like that. Uh, trying to look at the instrument in different ways and uh, just, you know, have a good time and not kill myself like I did for years and just bugging out and like, oh, I suck. And, you know, like just being at home, like I wonder what my uh, other people live in this building used to think, just me, just hours, fuck, just, uh, uh, shit, uh, 
freaking out, you know, just like, you know. How long, how long have you been in this apartment? I've been in this apartment for 12 years now. Rent stabilization. So that's worked out. And me and my lady live here, so it's, it's, it's good. And just like, I've just been like, I'm trying to stop buying records right now and just like really go back and like listen through everything. So, I mean, we don't ever watch television, so we just listen to records. You're great. You're a great, great collector, very inspiring, collecting vinyl and music in general. Usually ask this uh, at the end, is there a record, something that you think would be interesting for people to check out that is not like the obvious, you know? Where are they from? I don't know, Belgium or something? I can't remember where this group Voice Crack is from. They're kind of early noise group, experimental group. I, when I first heard that stuff, uh, I was like, damn, dude, what in the fuck is this? Oh, okay, let's say this. Einstein Z. Neubauten's very first record, Collapse. It's noise, it's songs. Like, what is that? You know, like coming out of punk, you know... Uh, you know, and listening to that stuff. And then when I started getting into that stuff, it's like, man, these people are really being creative and really kind of like carving out their own thing in a way that kind of in a way doesn't have anything to do with anything before it. You know, you, maybe it does. I mean, it, uh, of course it does. Nothing's like created in a vacuum. They were listening to things, but it's like they're playing texture. They're playing like, And it's just, it's just, it's just brutal in its conception and just kind of beautiful as well. And Blix's voice on it is just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, you know, just like you can make music any kind of way that has meaning and meaning not meaning prescribing itself to anything else except for what you want to do, you know, because what I gather from that record is probably different from what they gather the reasons for making it or whatever were different people from different places and times even in a way. So, uh, but, uh, that, me that record was always a mind blower. And I, I go back to every now and then just cause that doesn't have anything to do with technique or whatever, or any of that shit. Uh, I studied with Connie Carruthers for a bit and I remember like, you know, I was, I mean, she did wonders for me. Um, uh, like really turned me around Um, uh, and just like, almost on like some guru shit, you know, in the sense of like, she really, so like one of the times at the end of one of our lessons, she's like, you play cause you have to play and saying it into the fact in, in, in a way that like, that's, you don't have to break that down. That is, you know, it's like, you know, almost close to like breathing or eating. You do it because you have to, you know, so And that's 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 enough. It's been enough, you know, and you hope to do better. But like far as a career or anything, I don't think of I've never thought about it like that. And that's maybe the reason why it's taken me so long. Like for years, I just played. I didn't play out. I just played here, you know, or wherever I was living, you know, go out and party or do whatever I was doing at the time and hang out with friends or whatever. But. But I, I mean, I was always practicing or looking at something, but like, I don't know now past like two, three years is much more of an urgency or whatever. And I feel like I've gotten to a place to where I can really start to explore things, you know. I think the last time I played with Connie before she passed, 
It was uh, with you and Daniel Carter. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's Daniel Carter to you? Dude, like, one of... He's like that dude, you know? It's like, that's, a, you know, the kind of person you move to New York to meet. Him, Steve Dolachinsky, people like that. You know, the realest of the real in a lot of ways, you know? And it's just like what I'm saying. People, they do it because they have to do it. That's kind of more inspiring to me. It's like... You know, somebody steps up to me, no matter how good they are, and they got on all gold rings, and everyone's talking about them. You know, that's one thing, and they may deserve that. I'm not saying that, but, like, I'm much more impressed with somebody that does amazing work and just keeps doing it's it. It's funny that you mentioned Daniel Carter and Steve Dolachinsky, because when we started this crazy thing, 577, it started as a music series out of my apartment, in Brooklyn, and the first two people that came and played was Daniel Carter, the first time, very first time, the second time was Steve Dolachinsky. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, he was an amazing dude. Who's Sabir Matin to you? Uh, Sabir was the first person I studied with when I moved here, and I'd like see him around, I was like, yo, you know, that's Sabir, like, and I went up to him, and he's like, yeah, you know, you know how Sabir is very, um, almost kind of mild in a way and like studying, you know, and, uh, you know, he just, I remember one of the uh, things when I first started hanging out with him, he's like, you sound too much like the trad guys a little bit, you know, because I was just listening to that stuff so much and, uh, you know, pretty much saying that's not you completely, you know, but he was always like, you know, Listen to the greats, you know, listen to Lester Young, listen to how he constructs his solos, you know. Uh, another thing that Connie was into. Uh, and just, like, just being open, like, helping me to express and get at what I'm trying to do as an individual, as a creative individual, and not pushing his thing too much on me. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't giving me an aesthetic lesson. But, you know, he was helping me to see things and technical things and to... You know, what are you trying to do? Always kind of put it. Connie was the same. Well, yeah, like, what are you? And that's the hardest thing to do in a lot of ways. You know, it's there's a graduated system that academia has worked out very well to learn your instrument very well. And even if you're of marginal talent, if you, you study hard and you practice, you can achieve a certain technical level, you know. Um, now, making that into something else that's, has to do with life is a whole different thing. You know, uh, you, uh, you know, I like a lot of uh, um, uh, blues guitars, like the old guys. Like Everyone who? talks about the blues, like jazz guys always talk who? about the blues. But who? Uh, I mean, so many. Uh, I mean, so, uh, I mean, of course, Robert Johnson, but like you know, country guys, like uh, Pink Anderson and... Uh, God, there's so uh, Kokomo Arnold, um, uh, Love Sun House to Death, uh, Skip James. Uh, there's just so many. The Barrel House Blues players and a lot of those guys have some weird old comps, stuff that I've had forever. Um, uh, just that style and what they do with time, you know, and that brilliance, what they brought to it wasn't out of the academy. And it's very, I mean, just... You know, my dad's from southern Georgia. My grandfather played a little blues guitar from Texas. 
No, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents were in that music and they were around the time when Lightning Hopkins and all those guys were playing around. I was too young uh, before I really got into that stuff to ask my grandparents about it before the time they had already passed. But, you know, my grandfather collected records and was into that music. So I'm sure they saw a lot of those people because, you know, my grandmother used to talk when they would go out and see things, you know. So uh, I'm really tied to that expression because it's something, you know, the great things happen when it's suffused with people's lives, living, you know, uh, not just the way that like critics and create, oh, well, you know, this group, this Dada group and this and trying not like, but I'm talking about like people's lives, you know. Uh, Maybe that's when the music is relevant, when it's connected to, to yeah, the present you know. and to people's lives. Of course. I think so. A lot of the people playing and stuff, you know, it's like what we do. Um, uh, and it doesn't have to emulate something from the past, you know, in the sense of the way that it comes together. Shit is totally different now than it was even 20, 30 years ago. And we've been alive in that time and we can sense that that's changed. So why would it be like it was uh, uh, when the surrealists were around or any of these other great art movements or whatever, it's different. It's different than when it was the new thing in the 60s. The time has changed, you know? And I feel like we've, uh, it's, we're just continuing that on in the way that these individuals do it, yeah. you know? Yeah, instead of emulate, try to understand the process to being able to be current. I mean, all the people, like whoever, young, old, they're around. All these people are individuals on their instruments. They don't sound alike, you know? So obviously it's around people are doing what they need to do for themselves, you know? And uh, I just feel like uh, where I'm at lends itself more to free improvisation. And But then on that, I love composition and things as well. It's just like, you know, I'm constantly figuring it out. You but know. basically, this is what what I think Sabir was talking about trying to trying to empower you and Connie Crothers, trying to empower you, me, and you know, all these to develop your own thing. Yeah, you know, and it's going to be tied to the past, no matter what you do. There's a his history in the instrument that I play. I could be like, oh man, I'm not into any of that shit, and I just do my thing. Okay, you know, but I get a lot from. Uh, people of the past. I love that music. I love it all, you know? And uh, so I, there's, there's no weirdness or dissidence there for me. You know, it's like, I cannot be Jimmy Jufri. I cannot be John Carter, you know? You know, I can't be Alvin Batiste. I can't be any of those people except me. And I'm kind of more interested in what I have to offer. I didn't get into it just to like, you know, be a repeater pencil, as Lester Young used to say, you know. Uh, uh, it's, it's just like in any... It, music's a weird thing because like a lot of things that you see in visual or uh, visual art or no, uh, in literary sphere or whatever, you know, people will accept things, but in music, people really kind of want it a certain way, you know? And I feel like even with the, like, you know, repertory bands and stuff, 
there needs to be that too. Uh, uh, there's enough room for everybody. I always say that there's enough. We're all here. The arguments, no one gives a fuck. Like people breaking down the doors to go see trad groups. No, not in the States, not young people. People breaking down the door to see even Bach and Beethoven. No, they're not. You know, are they breaking down the door to go see Drake? Yes, they are. Why? Eh, you know, it's it's given to you. And also there's no connection. When I was in school in first grade, uh... You know, there was, um, um, you know, you still had music and kind of had music appreciation. This was in Austin, Texas in like the early 80s, 80, 81, whatever. Remember this woman, she would play music for us. You know, mostly it was like classical music, but she played a variety. She played even like some, you know, more, you know, modern stuff, electronic stuff and stuff. But, you know, would play it for us in class and you're a kid and you sit there. I never forgot any of that stuff. We have so many options now. It's narrowed, narrowed everything, you know, and everything. And also you got to think we're, everyone's beginning to live in an urban environment. I think that's had an effect on music. A producer more than a bunch of instrumentalists getting together makes more sense psychologically. Things have become tighter, more claustrophobic. When I listen, even the way things are recorded, MP3s, everything's compressed, it, it, that claustrophobic, claustrophobia of the socioeconomic situation, the psychology, everything is in that music. So to say that it's not representative of that time, I think is really false. You know, it... it, it now, what we're dealing with, I feel like, is the way humans are always going to breathe. We breathe, we eat, we drink water. We're still dealing in that, something that never goes away. But what's happening now is this claustrophobia around life. And, you know, everything's immediate. You know, you hear those songs. And if I hear another person talking about, oh, man, that beat is the shit. It's just kind of boring to me after a certain point. Now, if somebody's really just getting gross with it that's a whole different thing i love that stuff but now it's just it's it's, it's just you know it's it's like there's great things with trap um uh but there's great people and then there's just all this where that same in the whole like what i almost say the kind of packaged the rhythmic way of uh rhyming that everybody does the same cadence the same everything it, 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 it's it's it 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 kind of weakens the scope of things. Is there like a musician through the years? You know, through the last. I mean, since you've been in New York or even before, is there someone that you've been playing constantly with, and it's kind of a reference for you? Maybe someone a little older. I mean, do you have like some someone you really connect with uh, as an improviser, as a musician? You know. Who's, who who would be like... Oh, in New York, the person that I connected with uh, um, uh, the most, probably in a way, is no longer alive. This uh, um, uh, violist, Dylan Willemsma Fitzgerald. He was an amazing improviser and did not give a shit about... He was mind-blowing. You know, because I was in records and all this stuff. And, you know, he liked music a lot. And... Uh, i remember doing and yeah and he's you know juilliard dropout and stuff both of his, his brother and sister uh graduated sister's a violist 
she graduated from Juilliard and stuff, but he was an original. And all the things that people argue over, the kind of discussion, that didn't mean anything to him. He'd improvise with anybody. And uh, was working on his thing just kind of alone and not and just kind of easy. He was singular. I remember, I think that's how we met. I think, I, I think the very first time I was in the subway with Daniel and you and Dylan were playing. That's, I think, the very first yeah. time I, we met. Dude, that we was, used to go down there and, like work. And it's like, maybe I wasn't, you know, that's how he was living at the time. We'd hit up around like five or six sometime. We It was nothing to play till five in the morning to nobody. And those were like the best. Like stretching it. No end. I mean, just like, well, after a certain point, you're playing that long. You got to make it interesting somehow or you get bored. And we would just, and he would just shift things, sounds, colors, lines. Like he was awesome. Um, uh, and it was funny, you know, we'd uh, play. Sometimes we get enough for a beer. We go up, get a beer, talk some shit, crack some jokes, go back down there. It's like, you want to hit again? Yeah, let's go hit it again. And we do that. But what I, I, I remember, I remember once, I don't think, I don't know if you were there, but I think once uh, I played a session with Dylan and, and, uh, and Daniel. Maybe it was the four of us. I can't remember. I want to say I remember that a little the, bit. I used to have a, a rehearsal studio on East Third Street in front of the Hells Angels. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. 20 years ago, yeah. 20, 19 years ago. And I think, I'm pretty sure that's the first time we played together. Because I think that's what happened. Me and Daniel... We were in the subway, that. saw you guys playing, yeah. said, hey, we yeah, should get remember, together, yeah. and we did get together. God, I forgot about that. That's a long time ago. This is Federico Ugi, drummer, and that was the interview with the improviser and clarinet player Patrick Holmes. Patrick has a new album out on 577 Records. Wardy is coming out on February 7th, and is also featuring Daniel Carter, and Matthew Patman. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.